Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by ICOM. Heard it? Worked it? Logged it. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information about ICOM radios. It's Ham Radio with Neil Brown. Here we go. Welcome to Ham Talk Live. Call in. Let's talk. Neil's your guy. Ham Talk Live. Here we go on Ham Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. It's time for Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 145. High altitude ballooning recorded live on Thursday, December 20th, 2018. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by Josh Ward, W3ARD. And we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week here on the show, Steve Narducci, W9SN, and Fred Denon, WW4LL, were here to talk about the Be Loud Contest Station build. And if you missed that show, you can listen anytime. Just go over to hamtalklive.com or your favorite podcast app or YouTube, and you can catch us there on the replays. Well, uh, some announcements um, coming up, um, well, actually already starting, um, the 12 Days of Christmas special event station, but starting tomorrow, um, I'm going to jump in. Uh, Some uh, The operators had some technical issues uh, with uh, LED Christmas lights, among other things, uh, making racket. And so I'm going to uh, jump in and help out a little bit on the special event. So I'll be on HF uh, tomorrow after 3 p.m. Eastern for a while, and then later uh, on in the evening I'll be back on as well and uh, hope to also uh, get a few satellite contacts this weekend with the special event for the 12 days of Christmas. So, uh, tomorrow I know I'm, I'm W2M. So, uh, I'll be one of the W2M operators and then we'll see, uh, we'll see what they give me after that. But, uh, give me a call. We'll spot on DX summit. And, um, if you want more information about the 12 days of Christmas special event, uh, go to qrz.com and search either, uh, K2RYD or any of the um, call signs. Mine uh, will be W2Mike, Whiskey2Mike, um, and they'll tell you about the beautiful certificate you can get and all the 
12 Days of Christmas stations. And that's going to culminate on a Christmas birthday special event on December 25th. Um, you can check out K2B, K2 Bravo on QRZ.com about that. But they're celebrating people who have birthdays on Christmas Day or, or any of the holidays around this time. Um, New Year's, whatever. Um, so check that out. But the uh, event will be on December 25th. So check that out. That's K2 Bravo. And then uh, one other on-air thing going on, NASA on the air. We've talked about it on this show a couple of times. And uh, that is ending here in a week. So um, that ends on December 27th with the Apollo 8 50th anniversary celebration. So uh, be sure to check out NASA Radio Clubs on Facebook and Twitter and nasaontheair.wordpress.com for more information about that. But you've got a week to get your last points for NASA on the air. So make sure you check that out. Okay, well, we're going to talk high-altitude ballooning tonight, so get those questions ready to go. Uh, we'll talk to Josh for a little bit, then we'll take a break, and then we'll come back and open up the phone lines. But I'll go ahead and give you the phone number so you have it written down and have it all ready to go. It's 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. That's how you can call in to participate into the show tonight. We'll also take tweets. Uh, so if you're on Twitter, you can tweet us. It's just at HamTalkLive on Twitter, and we'll be checking that from time to time. And I'll be back with Josh right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm having an antenna party and I ran out of PL259s. Oh, come in. Thank you. Would silver-plated PL259s from Tower Electronics be too good for your guests? Those will be fine. Thank you. You saved my life the other night. Oh, the PL259s from Tower Electronics? Yes, they were very successful at the antenna party. My antenna works like a charm. Then how can you ever thank me? I'll try to think of something. Don't be caught without PL259s. Visit Tower Electronics at a ham fest near you. Or visit them online anytime at pl-259.com. Or call 920-435-2973. They have adapters, cables, antennas, soldering supplies, and meters, too. If Denny's is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, why are there locks on the doors? Now, here's Neil Rapp with more Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show, as they always do. And uh, they're on a little break here of the Hamfest circuit, but they'll be back um, starting on January 5th. It's uh, Waukesha, I think is how Paul told me how to pronounce that, Wisconsin. And then uh, January 18th and 19th, they'll be in Fort Myers, Florida. January 19th, St. Charles, Illinois. January 26th. Uh, one of them, I don't know which one's going where, but one's being Collinsville, Illinois, and the other one, Arcadia, Florida. But you can always visit them at pl-259.com even tonight. So if you need some last-minute gifts, 
Just go over there to pl-259.com and tell them Neil over at Ham Talk Live sent you, and they'll give you the, the special 0% off sale. Well, Josh Ward is with us tonight, W3ARD. He is in Waco, Texas, and no, he doesn't have any connection to the Branch to Davidians, nor does he know Chip and Joanna, but Josh enjoys working satellites and APRS high-altitude balloons, and he's our, our resident late-night operator on the satellites, typically, and one of the contributors to the Walmart parking lots on the air events, and he was on this show for that. Uh, he has his pilot's license and is a technology consultant for the Baylor University School of Business. So, Josh, welcome back to Ham Talk Live. Welcome. Thank you very much, Neil. Glad to be back on. I'm not sure about contributor. I think maybe co-conspirator. Conspirator might have been. I think, I think that's probably the better way to put it, yeah. That may have been more accurate, I, I, I right. think. But um, but we had a lot of fun with that. And we, we, we may have to see. Uh, we haven't had one of those in a while. We may have to have to bring that back. Yeah, well, I, I, I we're going to have to talk to Chris and some of the other guys on that one. Um, but, yeah, that was fun right at the very beginning of May. Well, we're talking about something else that's fun, and that's uh, blowing up balloons and uh, <laughs> launching Absolutely. them into near space. So, Correct. Uh, let's talk about the basics of launching one of these high-altitude balloons. And it is a radio show, so we can't say, well, if you look at this diagram right here, you know. Uh, Correct. So if you can... W- Josh has got some stuff up on his website. It's starduster.info. And uh, we just tweeted out a link and uh, sent out a Facebook link uh, to that page. Uh, But if you just go to starduster.info, you can look at some of the uh, pictures and visuals if you want to. Um, He's going to try to uh, explain everything um, verbally. But if you want some pictures to go along with it, just uh, hop on over there while you're listening. So, uh, Josh, go ahead and let's talk about the basics of high altitude ballooning. Sure thing. Um, well, to start with, um, high altitude ballooning is actually the reason I got into amateur radio to begin with. Um, uh, people have been doing this for, you know, years and years and years. I've seen, um, other attempts. You can go to tons of websites and kind of see how other people do it. Um, I would love to fancy myself as a kind of person that could, you know, redo cars and, you know, gut a house and redo interiors of houses. But, um, you know, there's always something about it, something there that, you know, would kind of stump me or stop me in my tracks and I kind of know my, uh, limits. But as I started looking at the, uh, concept of sending balloons into near space, you know, 80, 90, hundred thousand feet, as I stepped through it, I realized that pretty much the whole project was right in my wheelhouse of photography and being a pilot, uh, stepping through the aviation side and the, the winds aloft and uh, path prediction and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I kind of thought about doing it for a year or two. Um, and then I guess it's been about four years. Um, I went ahead and committed to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do this knew that it was not the cheapest hobby to get into. Um, and so I just went, actually went to Kickstarter, um, mostly as a more legitimate way to collect funds from friends. You know, you can talk about it at lunch and somebody will say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll give you 40 bucks. But then to go to actually make the ask, um, it was a whole lot easier to go to Kickstarter and, um, 
look for funding, um, which is actually the reason that I have the Starduster.info website is I kept up the project updates in parallel on my website as I was doing updates to the original Kickstarter backers four years ago. Um, so if you step over to that website, you can kind of see the the progress of a build as we go. Um, you know, whenever people see the pictures, uh, immediately you see the curvature of the earth and you see the blackness of space and everybody always says, Hey, you know, you know, you send balloons to space. And the answer is not exactly. Um, you know, we're above 99.97% of the atmosphere. Uh, we're approaching a hard vacuum, uh, but legally, space doesn't begin until 60 miles. Uh, I know there's astronauts that get wings at 50 miles. Um, you know, we're not even breaching 20 miles. Um, the pictures are compelling. They're convincing. But that's why I go to my out of my way to stay near space. Um, you know, so um, got into the hobby about four years ago. Um, each launch has gotten incremental, uh, incrementally more um, complex and difficult uh, learning curve. Um, I don't launch balloons as often as some folks. I know some people that do it monthly. Some people have made a career out of uh, career out of it. Um, I just enjoy taking it piece by piece, sort of step by step. Um, my first launch I ever did, I did not fly with APRS. I was not licensed. Um, and I got away with two GoPro cameras and a little backpacking uh, GPS tracking device, a spot, a little spot uh, Gen 3 device. Um, but then very quickly realized that um, getting into amateur radio and tracking with APRS was going to be uh, a much, much better option uh, for more real-time tracking. Um, which is actually the reason that I have the vanity call sign, the Whiskey 3 Alfa Romeo Delta. I live in five land. Um, but at the time, I didn't think I was ever really going to be talking on the radio. I just got the license because I wanted to do APRS. And then realized I enjoyed the satellite aspects of the hobby. And so now I'm, I'm a confusing vanity 3 living in five land here in Texas. Um, but, but on your Twitter, you, you kind of clarified that with the stroke <laughs> yeah. five right right yeah yeah w3 ard spelled out stroke five i think somebody else was sitting on the twitter handle w3 ard so i had to get creative and uh append it with some extra information there you go yeah well what all you do you need to get one of these launches going and then we'll get into some of the specifics of the ham stuff but well right what are you going to need to make this thing fly so the um i mean first and foremost if you're gonna do high altitude balloons you're probably gonna have a balloon um i that would make purchased, sense yeah i purchased my balloons from uh kmont um there are other folks that'll sell you balloons but i usually fly kmont and i will fly a 1200 or a 1500 gram balloon um, when you purchase a 12 or 1500 gram balloon that's actually how much the balloon itself weighs. So 1500 gram balloon is over three pounds of latex. I mean, the balloon itself is over three pounds, um, six foot diameter approximately at launch. Um, and as it climbs and expands, um, they'll climb out to 28 or 32 feet in diameter, and then they'll fail at a very prescribed diameter. Um, which is good because you want the balloons to fail. You need them to fail because you want your stuff to come back down for recovery. Um, but the balloons run anywhere from you know ninety five to maybe one hundred and ten, hundred and twenty dollars a piece. Um, helium, uh, 
a 2000 PSI cylinder, 219 cubic feet of helium, depends on the time of year, depends on the year, going to run you anywhere from 130 to 160 apiece. So you're already 250 to $280 just into the first launch, and that's just with the uh, the, the balloon and the helium. Um, depending on what you want to carry, if you want to carry cameras, um, there are people that work with uh, Raspberry Pi and small cameras um, that do everything on board. Um, the, you know, the fast solution is to, you know, buy GoPro or some type of other uh, camera that is, you know, built and kind of proven already. Um, I will say that the video that you shoot at, whether it's 1080 or 4K, is beautiful video, but video, um, because it's, you know, 10,080 lines of resolution doesn't make for good photos. If you're trying to uh, uh, make beautiful photos, and I'm always interested in the photos, I've usually will fly a camera um, with video, and then I dedicate at least one camera to taking photos, 10 or 12 megapixel photos, uh, once per second or something to that effect. So um, I would advise if you want beautiful photos, consider that video doesn't actually make great photos. Um, which is why I fly more than one camera. Um, and then um, you absolutely can buy styrofoam containers. Um, I tend to like a more elegant. Um, I jokingly say that, you know, my hobby is, you know, I, I work with elegantly engineered beer coolers. Um, <laughs> I prefer I prefer not to take a cooler from scratch from the store because I like to get inside the cooler and build out uh, space for the camera and the batteries and stuff. I typically will go to a craft store and buy a flat sheet of styrofoam, uh, take a hot knife like a wire cutter, and actually cut them to spec, cut them to shape, um, and then build up the four walls and the base. And um, I like a little bit more elegant uh, solution. Um, but you're constantly watching weight. You're constantly watching um, not necessarily down to the gram, although I do measure with a gram scale. Um, there is a direct correlation to how much helium goes into the balloon. Um, we use the term free lift. Um, so if the balloon can lift itself and the balloon can lift your payload exactly neutral and the balloon's not going anywhere, any amount of helium you add beyond that is what we would call free lift. Um, and there's a kind of a prescribed way of doing it where I know with my payloads if I fly with 850 grams of free lift, I can realize about 750 feet per minute uh, of ascent. So whenever you're trying to do prediction on where the balloon's going to go, a lot of your prediction is going to be based on having a knowledge of how quickly the balloon's going to ascend so that you can plug it into a wind model. Um, some people think, hey, I'll add more helium and we'll go higher. And the answer is actually not. Um, if you add more helium to the balloon, the helium will expand quicker and exhaust the uh, envelope of the balloon. So more helium might get you ascending quicker, but your balloon will fail and burst sooner. Um, so, you know, if you have an objective of I want to make 90,000 feet or I want to make 100,000 feet, um, there's a lot of uh, math that you kind of have to work behind the scenes to, to get all of that right. Um, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Helium balloon, um, some long sh uh, 
cables, I guess. You know, we use uh, twine, um, you know, beer cooler, a couple of cameras, um, and then some method with which to track it and then recover your payloads. Um, some people use backpacking trackers like the, the Spot Gen 3. Um, APRS is great while you're actually aloft. Um, but if APRS lands out in the middle of a field and you're not getting digipeded or you're not getting, uh, eye gated, um, that can be kind of rough. So some folks will do like a Fox hunt. They'll have some type of uh, transmitter on a frequency that they're using Yagi's to find out the final location. Um, or if you have like a Kenwood or any, any of the handheld radios or car based radios that have APRS built in. If you're in close proximity, you might can even sniff out your own APRS packet, which is luckily kind of how I've been able to do it. Um, I use APRS in the air, and I take advantage of the distributed APRS receivers that all of you fine ham folks have. Um, and then for the final, final fix, I usually rely on the uh, GPS tracker, um, the, the satellite-based tracking for like a backpacking tracker for the final, final fix. Okay, very good. And lots of uh of software there too, I'm sure. And um let's talk a little bit because we're we're running out of time here. Uh sure. let's run through a little bit about cross band repeating and and getting that uh, APRS um signal going. Sure. So on the cross band repeat side, um I probably most most folks know what crossband repeat is but um on a terrestrial based repeater you can live entirely on two meter or entirely on 70 centimeter um but um in with a balloon you don't have the power and you don't have the weight to be able to um operate on the same band so we work with a crossband repeater which is almost identical to what you would have on the uh, amateur satellites on the fm side at least um and so you know people do solutions that are as uh, simple. It's a little bit more complicated, but they're as simple as like two it's handheld like Bofang radios where essentially you take the headphone jack from one radio uh, on a receive frequency and basically get it wired into the microphone jack of the other radio on the other band. So, you know, you might have one tuned to a two meter frequency and one tuned to a 70 centimeter frequency. And, uh, you know, as as you talk on the two meter, it basically activates the the downlink on the other Bofang. Um, there are handheld. Oh, by radios. the way, we have we have to pause. Oh, go for ahead. Just one second, because you said the word Baofang. We had to play the the Baofang oh, song. So, okay, I understand. Okay, go ahead. Oh, no problem. Uh, I, I'm, I'm tracking with you. Yeah. The other, I don't know if you have a song for this one, but you know, the other option is, uh, there are handhelds that actually have uh cross band repeat built in TYT 8,000 E I believe is one. Uh, so you could, you could fly an all in one. Um, and then there's other solutions. Like I said, people fly, um, raspberry Pi with special software that actually will function as a cross band repeater. Um, odds are you probably really, really want to do something that you can inject um, uh, repeater ID tones into. Um, if you're going to fly a repeater, you probably kind of need to live by the rules of a repeater IDing itself since you're not in local control of it. Um, I do tend to ID the repeater through voice, but if you lost control of the repeater, um, you know, having ID tones to be legal uh, is kind of the way to go. Um, so on the APRS side, 
Um, one of the things that's kind of interesting, but people don't know, GPS, most GPS that you buy uh, will stop reporting above 60,000 feet. Um, the government is not too keen uh, on GPS that reports above 60,000 feet and, and faster than 999 knots. Um, having one that does both, I think, is considered a munition. Um, so you can find GPS, but a lot of them, uh, won't report above 60,000. So if you're going to fly a balloon, you need to make sure that your GPS receiver will report above 60,000 feet, or you're going to be kind of in the dark for that hour, hour and a half that it's, uh, above that level. Um, but APRS, you definitely want a transmit only. Um, if you have a transmitter receiver for APRS, your APRS is going to get every single packet for like a 700-mile radius, and it's never going to be able to get a word in and send its information back down. Um, so you want one that's really doing transmit only, um, and you want your path basically to do absolutely no repeat whatsoever, or you're not asking you're not asking uh, re, uh, digipeters to repeat your packet because. With a 700-mile footprint, whenever you have hundreds of APRS receivers, if they all are repeating your packet, um, you basically have choked out the network about once per minute, um, and that's very rude of you. <laughs> so um, you need to pay attention to uh, APRS path, um, transmit only, no repeat, um, and um, having a radio in the car that'll do um, – that packet translation is very, very handy because if a balloon is tracking across the country, like in Texas, you may be in areas where there's not good cell connectivity. And if you don't have good cell connectivity, you can't necessarily get to APRS.FI to even find out where the balloon is. So having something mobile in the car where you are able to receive your own packets is uh, highly suggested. All Where right. Else would I do? <laughs> well, very good. We got some got some messaging going on here, so I uh, <laughs> had to attend to that for a minute. But that that's you know some some general things. There, there's a lot of detail that we could get into, and and maybe we will here uh, in a, in a few weeks actually. But uh, the, there's a lot of of detail. But that gives us a general kind of overview of of what's going on, which was our our goal for tonight. So. Um, that sounds, sounds good. And we're going to, um, take a break here and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about, um, the tracking here a little bit more, and we're going to take your questions and your phone calls, uh, here on the show. So we'll get a chance to do that. And I'll be back with Josh right after this word from ICOM America right here on Ham Talk Live. For the love of the holidays, surprise your favorite ham this season with the gift that's on their hot list. The holidays are just around the corner and ICOM has plenty of cheer for everyone. The IC7610, the SDR every ham wants, and just in time for the holidays. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest of signals, even in the presence of stronger adjacent ones. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software 
AR-defined radio that will change the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. It has RF direct sampling, 110 dB RMDR, and dual digicel. The IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. It includes RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. The ICR30 is raising the bar on DC to daylight receivers. Powerful yet easy to use, the ICR30 is packed full of features you have come to expect from ICOM. The perfect stocking stuffer, the ID51A Plus 2, provides new modes for extended D-Star coverage. Enjoy integrated GPS, independent AM-FM receiver, and free Android apps. For all of these products and more ICOM radios, visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information. Join the conversation. Give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. All I want for Christmas is to listen to another episode of Ham Talk Live. Thanks to ICOM America for sponsoring the show and uh, all kinds of great uh, ICOM deals through uh, the end of the year. So make sure you take advantage of those. And uh, Ham Talk Live is on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here at HamTalkLive.com. And be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And it's time for your calls so if you have a question for Josh, give us a call. It's 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Or you can tweet us. It's at HamTalkLive on Twitter. So um, I know uh, uh, we, we've got uh, a, a friend of the show here, Bill Brown, that's uh, done a lot of this stuff, and, and we've been talking to him today, and we're planning on having him on uh, on the show here um, in uh, maybe a month or so. We'll, we'll get that uh, all put together, and, and he can get into some of the uh, – the details here, but one of the things on APRS, uh, tracking is, you know, how do you, how do you watch that and, and track those, um, satellite or not satellite pseudo satellites, pseudo satellites, uh, uh, how do you get the, um, um, tracking so that you can chase this thing down? Right. So, um, if I'm, at the house and want to see what's going on, I use APRS.FI. I mean, you can just go to the website, APRS.FI. Does that say it right? APRS.FI. Yeah. Um, and then search against uh, whatever license, you know, you happen to be flying. I usually fly W3ARD. Um, and then it's appended with dash 11 uh, for the balloon. Um, so I will search against that. And, um, you know, however long it takes the, the system to gate my packet, you know, so within 30 seconds or so, um, I'm getting position data. Um, I have my transmitter once per minute. You absolutely could go less than that. I mean, you could, you know, do every five or 10 minutes. Um, you know, if you're trying to go real, real super low power, um, you know, like Bill would be doing, 
um, you know, that may be 15 minutes to once an hour um, if you're really trying to conserve power. Um, I not endorsing Apple products. I use an iPhone. Their APRS.fi app is a great app um, that allows me to track in real time. Uh, the thing I also like about that particular app on my phone is um, it does a very good job of graphing sort of what little telemetry you've got. So um, you can see the ascent of the balloon as it's climbing and you can see how rapidly it is descending. Um, so, you know, you've got a kind of a sense of what's going on. And so since I've said that, I kind of a segue into another point that I find a little bit interesting um, when, and this blew my mind the first time I saw it on the graph, um, and I've included that graph, um, on the stardustr.info website, if you go there, um, the balloon actually climbs at a near linear rate. Um, I, I would always thought maybe that like it accelerated on the way up or it decelerated on the way up. If the balloon is filled right, it climbs at almost the same rate, no matter what the wind across, you know, it, however the wind is pushing it, it is climbing at the same rate. Um, so 750 feet a minute or 500 feet per minute. Um, so that rate looks very linear on the graph. Of course, when the balloon burst, there is no air or there's so scarce amount of air, um, that the balloon begins to, um, accelerate gravity at, you know, 9.8 meters per second squared. The balloon, uh, descends very rapidly because there's nothing to slow it down until it gets into denser and denser and denser air. So when the balloon bursts, um, you know, it can accelerate up to 180, 280, or sorry, 180 to maybe 230 miles per hour as it's uh, coming downhill until it can get into denser and denser air and the parachute or the drogue chute becomes more and more effective. Um, one of the other things that you have to consider with a balloon is, you know, everybody knows the higher you go, the, the colder it gets. Um, and that holds true for a while um, until you get to 60,000, 70,000 feet and then you actually kind of have the opposite problem. Um, anything that produces heat, like cameras and radios, um, as you climb into that scarcer and scarcer air, um, there is no air with which to give heat to. Um, you actually have radiation issues, as in you can't radiate heat from your payload. Um, so if you're talking about a transmitter that's putting out a lot of information, you know, modems or whatever, you actually have heat sink issues where you've got to put that heat somewhere because there literally is no air with which to give the heat to. Um, so it becomes a very fun equation of keeping things warm on the ascent and then trying to keep them cool once you get above a certain altitude and they're doing their job full time. Um, yeah, just interesting things to think about that you learn as you go. Sure. So we don't, we, you know, we don't often get up to, you know, 60,000 feet. So <laughs> we yeah. don't know that kind of thing. Right. So that's uh, good stuff to know. 812-638-4261 is the phone number. Go ahead, Josh. I was going to say, so on average, um, somewhere between 75 minutes to, you know, up to two hours uh, ascent uh, till the balloon bursts. And then uh, depending on what type of shoot that you have, uh, anywhere from, maybe 20, 25 minute, uh, free fall descent, uh, maybe as slow as 40 or so minutes. Um, depending, the question I get all the time is where do you launch from? And the answer is I don't actually know where I'm going to launch from until maybe 24 to 48 hours beforehand because my launch location is dictated by what the wind model says I'm going to land and I'm going to go out of my way to avoid, 
um, cities and large lakes. I do take airspace considerations um, into that equation. So um, I don't always know where I'm going to launch until I know what the winds are going to do. So I kind of build a recovery area, you know, a five, ten mile circle and say, okay, if I launch here, where do I need to go to make my balloon sort of land in this general vicinity? Um, and cause you don't really have a lot of control. I mean, once you put the helium in the balloon and you let it go, it's kind of up to the winds and the gods and the, did I, did I do all the math right? Um, and that, that becomes, that becomes fun. It can also be very nerve wracking because like I said, you're not in control once you let it go. So it's a lot like storm chasing as you're driving through back roads, trying to stay underneath this thing. 812-638-4261 is the phone number. If you have a question for Josh, give us a call and uh, we'll also uh, be checking Twitter here as well. And I, I, I slipped up. I was trying to do two things at once here and I said the satellite and then suddenly, you know, I was like, oh wait, it's pseudo satellite. So, so talk a little bit about that word pseudo satellite and, and how that's a little bit different from typical satellite communication. Well, so I'm also involved in the amateur satellite, uh, amateur radio community. Um, you know, SO50, um, you know, the AO series that are out right now, the FM satellites, um, they work in a lot of the same way with the crossband repeater. Um, of course, they're 300, 400 miles up, so their footprint uh, is many thousands of miles. Um, but to stay in orbit, they would have to be moving at, you know, five miles per second. So depending on sort of how they're approaching overhead, you may have four minutes of talk time or, you know, maybe up to 12 minutes. Uh, but at five miles per second, you do, especially on the UHF side, have to take into account the, uh, the Doppler shift. Um, so, you know, with a, with an actual satellite, you are having to adjust for, um, and, you know, as the satellite's coming overhead, uh, that Doppler shift. Um, but with a balloon, you know, it's mostly static. I mean, it may be moving at 65 up to a hundred miles an hour in the jet stream. Um, but you know, you could use the same arrow antenna, you could use the same, um, you know, crossed Yagi type antenna. Um, but you would be communicating, you know, a crossband repeater. Um, you would just want to specify ahead of time, you know, this is the uplink frequency that you transmit on and you listen to the, you know, the downlink uh, on the other band. Um, sort of the same thing I would assume with the APRS. Crossband repeater at 70, 80, 90,000 feet is going to be able to hear. It's going to be able to receive, I mean, pretty much any transmission in the state of Texas. Um you would best be served by uh, adding a PL, at least a PL receive tone on a crossband repeater that you hang at that altitude uh, because you don't really want your uh, receiver open. You don't want your receiver transmitting uh, just blindly because, again, from 100,000 feet, you may have a 700-mile footprint. Uh, the odds of somebody transmitting on that uplink frequency uh, increases with that big of a footprint. So. Uh, you definitely would want some type of uh, PL tone, probably a PL tone way out of range of what you would normally have uh, in your state, in your area, just to keep people from accidentally stomping on what you're trying to do at altitude. 
Um, I usually use 67 hertz just because where I'm at in Texas, it's primarily 123 on the PL tones. Okay, very good. Well, 812-638-4261 is the phone number. And uh, if you want to call in with something, give us a call right now. It's 812-638-4261. We'll uh, keep it on here with Josh for a few more minutes this evening and uh, talk a little bit about high-altitude ballooning. So uh, give us a call, 812 638 four two six one so let's see here okay there we go we have our call good evening hello hey this is bill brown hey bill how are we doing doing good all right we've got uh, bill brown here on the line and where did my notes go for your call w-b-8-e-l-k and um, he's done uh, done this for for forever, I think. So <laughs> you you mentioned that uh, there's an event that you wanted to uh, promote a little bit. Yes, um, yeah, I've been flying uh, high altitude balloons for 31 years now, and this summer there is uh, an event called the Great Plains Super Launch. Uh, the website is Super Launch. Dot org, And it draws balloon groups from all over the nation and often the world. And they uh, all meet, and we have a conference on a Friday. This year is going to be in uh, Pella, Iowa. And it basically moves around the greater part of the Midwest. And we get uh, some of the balloon groups from all over the country. We have a conference, and we talk about the latest advances in high-altitude ballooning. And then we launched 10, at least 10, weather balloons and a few Pico balloons at a big event the uh, following Saturday in the morning. And we go out and we chase them all over the Iowa countryside. So they land in cornfields and, and soybean fields, and we have a ball uh, chasing down 10 balloons at once. It's very and interesting. It's open, the conference is open to anyone, and we would love to have anybody come and uh, join us in the great fun. It's actually very interesting to watch uh, that event on APRS if you can't attend. If you watch on APRS, it's fun watching the balloons all kind of moving sort of somewhat in sync until they're not. It looks like a giant bowl of spaghetti. It's a lot of fun to watch <laughs> those paths. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, I've been going to it for about, uh, I think it's uh, 15 to 18 years now that it's been going on. Well, 15, I think. Well, since Bill's on the line, I'll ask a question. Um, have you ever worked, uh, do you work exclusively with helium, or have you ever dabbled in hydrogen just as a better lifting body, but more uh, precarious? Actually, due to the uh, high cost, the ever-increasing cost of helium, uh, I have been using hydrogen for a lot of my flights, both uh, the large latex balloons and the Pico balloons. As long as you take uh, precautions to uh, cut down on the chance of static buildup, uh, it's very safe. Um, actually, the worst that can happen, unless you get a bunch of air in it, uh, is it just produce a fireball, a brief fireball. Uh, but the Pico balloons go... Um, at least two or 3,000 feet higher 
and you get higher um, altitudes out of the regular latex weather balloons as well. Um, I typically do use helium, however, for school events um, because basically their insurance policies, that they start getting a little uh, uh, concerned when you talk about hydrogen. They, they think Hindenburg, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you won't have a Hindenburg on your hand even if the worst happens. But uh, it's it's been very safe. In fact, the last Great Plains Super Launch we did, uh, the last two of them, in fact, most everybody flew with hydrogen with no issues. Fantastic. Um, and and so, the cost of hydrogen for a about a 219 cubic foot tank is right around 50-some dollars. So it's a lot so about cost a, effective it's than about healing. A, third of the cost of the helium, the last helium launch that I had. That's about right. Yep. Well, while we've got both of you on the line, we've got a couple of uh, questions that have uh, come in on on, uh, on text here. Uh, one on uh, QRZ today was asking about HF uh, telemetry and, and an HF signal. Um What's what's up with with maybe some CW well, and and uh, twenty meters? I have or flown, yeah, I've flown uh, basic Morse code. I've flown uh, Domino EX, which is a nice multi-tone, multi-frequency uh, weak signal mode, and uh, JT nine, for example. Uh, these are all modes that you can have a very low-power transmitter and still get reception on, and just classic teletype, really. Now, lately, however, I've come up with a scheme to create telemetry using whisper mode. Whisper is a very weak signal mode, and the nice thing about it is there's a distributed network of ground stations all over the world tuned to this segment of the 20-meter band or the 30-meter band, and it's for propagation, and most everybody transmits with 5 watts or less. In my case, uh, I wanted a 12-gram payload that's totally solar-powered, and it produces a whopping 25 milliwatts. And I use a magnet-wired dipole that weighs 3 grams. So the total payload is 15 grams, just a fraction of an ounce. And I can put it on a Mylar party balloon. And, in fact, there's another balloon called the SBS-13 by Scientific Balloon Solutions. They have a one about the size of a trash bag. And uh, those can go and float in the jet stream or above the jet stream in the case of the larger balloon, and have the potential to go completely around the world. And they're jet stream floaters. And the really neat thing is they take minimal amounts of helium or hydrogen. And the balloon for a party balloon, it's a 36-inch mylar party balloon. Those balloons cost $3 a piece. And you've got about a cubic foot of gas, lifting gas. The trash bag-sized balloon costs about $129, but I had one of those go around the world 75 days it stayed aloft, and it went around the world six times. So using HF, 
I send two transmissions on Whisper, one with my call sign and one with telemetry embedded in it. That all goes, it's received, it goes to a database on whispernet.org. And then I use a Python script to grab that data, reformat it, decode my telemetry, and send it to APRS.fi so it shows up like an APRS object. And that way, if you ever see an APRS balloon over the middle of the Pacific or the Atlantic Ocean, you wonder, how did anybody receive that? That's how it happened. Right. Very good. Well, we look forward to having you uh, on the show here in a few weeks and talk about those Pico balloons and and some of the uh, more detailed aspects of this, Bill. And thanks for uh, writing in this morning and uh, some of the information you've been typing to us tonight. And uh, we appreciate it and look forward to having you on the show here soon. Absolutely. And uh, happy to answer any uh, questions uh, that anybody might have about uh, uh, high-altitude ballooning or the Pico balloons. Uh, uh, okay to get my email address out? Sure. I can. It's uh, WB8ELK, Whiskey Bravo 8 Echo Lima Kilo, at gmail.com. And I'm happy to answer anybody's questions. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Bill. We appreciate your time tonight, and thanks for calling in. All right. Thanks very much. All right. Take care now. 7-3. Bye. All right. Well, we're about out of time here, Josh, but I do have one other uh, tweet that I see here from K5IX from Dave and says, Hey, Josh, still cherish my cool night owl QSL. Uh, just interested to know what sort of crew you use for launch and recovery, or is it all manageable by yourself? And uh, hope to bump into you again sometime. Well, it's great hearing from Dave, um, fellow Texan. Um, and there is sort of a story about bumping into each other. Uh, I was down in Austin uh, a couple of months ago just doing my thing, and I got a text message from him. Apparently he'd walked by and saw my uh, – uh, vanity license plate, the odds, I mean, the odds of us both being in the same place in Austin at the same time and him recognizing my license plate are slim to none. Uh, but to answer the question, um, yeah, for the type of balloons that we're talking about, uh, the helium balloons, definitely having two or three hands, uh, to help with the, the filling process, uh, tying off the balloons, attaching the payload, um, definitely best served by having uh, two or three folks on hand. Um, I've done it with Baylor engineering students. Um, my, 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 my wife now, uh, girlfriend, fiance at the time, um, having her on board, I've, you know, I've had family members, but as far as the launch crew, um, you know, two to four people on hand is probably, uh, the best way to go. Once you let the balloon go, you're going to want to chase pretty quickly. So having somebody that's willing to sort of stay back and load up bottles and load up all the gear is really, really handy. Um, chasing, you know, you could probably chase with one or two folks. It's always, it's nice to go out with a group of folks. I mean, we've had as many as 10 or 12 cars on the chase, um, you know, landing in certain areas. If you've got to do any kind of fox hunt, if you've got to do any kind of direction finding, uh, being able to have, you know, two or three crews that can spread out and uh, try to get a triangulate, try to get a fix on a balloon. Um, it, it's fun to share with folks. Um, so, uh, I'd recommend, you know, two to four people for launch, the more the merrier. Um, and then, you know, once the balloons aloft, 
Um, again, it's a lot like a high altitude. It's a lot like a sa- uh, satellite. You know, it's a shared resource, but you just let as many people uh, know as possible and let them make, uh, you know, QSOs on the balloon and usually pretty short QSOs just because it's a shared resource, much like a satellite. But uh, the more the merrier. It's fun. It's fun sharing the hobby and fun sharing the photos and the videos and uh, doing these kind of events like this with you. Well, I've sure enjoyed uh, a lot of your pictures and, and uh, videos that you shared with me, and uh, it's some some pretty cool stuff. So thanks so much for coming on the show and telling us about it. And uh, and uh, like I said, we're going to follow up on it and uh, and do another one here soon. And. Uh, get into some more specifics, but this gives us a great overview of what's going on with high altitude ballooning. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks Bill for chiming in. Um, I'll say the same thing Bill did. My uh, email address and QRZ is active and uh, I'm usually happy to answer pretty much any question that comes my way. Uh, so email me, email Bill. Um, we work separately, never met until today, but um, you know, most of us that are in the hobby would uh, love to share and talk about it. So, uh, Neil, appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, early Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you and all your listeners, and uh, appreciate it. W3ARD. Okay, yep. You can catch him at W3ARD. Just get in there on QRZ, and you can email Josh if you have some questions. So, we're going to finish things up here tonight, but uh, thanks to Josh, uh, W3ARD, for coming on the show. And that is a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. And thanks to everybody out there in cyberspace for listening and for calling in and typing in. And uh, I invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time when Drew Glassbrenner, KO4MA, will be here to talk about making the most of satellite time. And for a list of all of our upcoming guests, you can visit hamtalklive.com. And if you like Ham Talk Live, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. That helps others find us faster. So for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375. May the good DX be yours, and a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all. Don't, <laughs> do